Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Come to you from underneath the peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, Steve the Jerk. Hello, good morning, Be Awesome podcast listeners, follow subscribers. Uh, my name is Joshua Peach. I'm your host here for episode 98. I am without Uncle Dave, but I am not without a guest. And this is a really cool guest. Uh, we're in episode 98 of my podcast, but episode two of the Be Awesome at BYLR, which is Build Your Life Resume members series for August. Uh, the Build Your Life Resume, for those of you that didn't catch last week's episode, is a uh, program created by Jesse Itzler, uh, who is a pretty phenomenal and amazing human being. I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit in this in this uh, podcast episode. But uh, there's about 1,500 members, and many of them said that they wanted to be on a podcast to share their story or just see what being on a podcast was like. So I've opened it up to any member uh, for the month of August to just reach out and let me know you want to be on it. And uh, Mark was one of those people. But it wasn't before Mark and I uh, met one another, and this is a, this goes down in the six lines of separation of Kevin Bacon, or what I will call the two lines of separation with David Cooks. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, I was on the, the membership page, and I saw a post about this guy, Mark Resnick, and it was about his book that we're going to talk about, which is titled 10 Days with Dad, which I have right here that I didn't get to read all of, uh, but I plan on it. Um, and it talks about um, his, Mark and his family's journey uh, around his father uh, being diagnosed and uh, ultimately passing from from Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, wow, what a cool what a, what a cool story. My dad's actually got uh, advanced dementia, which is like Alzheimer's. I think sometimes they don't know which way to diagnose it. Um, and I've been struggling with a number of things the last couple of years. So um, I took a little bit of a look and Mark also does promotional uh, selling of uh promotional items, logoed items, and I had a need for some some embroidery. So I sent Mark a message and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your uh, your merchandise, and I think your book's really cool. We should catch up or connect. And um, life got away from both of us, and it was about a month and a half, and I'm, I'm listening to my friend David Cooks, uh, who's also an author. Uh, his book is Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. I got some copies here I'll talk about later on in the, the talk. And I'm listening to his podcast, as I often do, and uh, all of a sudden I hear David say, I'd like to welcome guest Mark Resnick. And I'm like, what are the chances that Mark Resnick in Walpole, Massachusetts, is talking to David Cooks in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and these two people know each other? So I reach out, and I and it re- springs me to, to reach out, and I said, hey, Mark, I, this just hit me. I'm listening to my buddy David Cook's podcast, and you're on it, and we need to talk about merchandise and other things. How do you get on the podcast? And he says, well, David's my brother-in-law. And uh, so small world. David is connected with everyone, even though he's not related to everyone, but definitely connected to everyone. And uh, so lucky to have him in my life and and to, to re-spark this, this uh, building of a relationship. And over the last week, Mark and I have gotten to know each other, and we're going to dig right into this episode. So I covered the introduction, Mark. Uh, 
Um, welcome to the Be Awesome podcast. Give us the who is Mark Resnick and what does he do? And then we're going to dig right into, I think we're going to dig right into life with our dads because uh, I think mm -hmm. I'd like to to do some storytelling if you don't mind. And I'm sure it'll a lot of it will revolve around your book and I'm going to do some random openings. Yeah, no, that's great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, Mark Resnick is a 50 year old guy, grew up in the suburbs of Massachusetts. Uh, I was, I was, uh, Hey, we got some family yeah. in the house. Well, uh, Captain chaos screaming. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think I, if I remember correctly, your parents were divorced too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my, my parents divorced when I was seven. Um, the, the only difference was probably that my father was the one who stayed behind and my mom moved out, which was, was pretty rare in 1980. Um, so he, uh, raised myself and my two brothers. I'm the middle child. So I've got the definite classic middle child syndrome in many ways, which we can talk about. Uh, we had quite an adventure growing up in Norwell, just a nice suburb outside of Boston. Great schools, great town, great sports. Uh, we played hockey most of our lives, actually all of our lives. And my dad was a, was a fantastic coach, but it was just quite a, quite an adventure growing up with my dad and my two brothers in the same house and not having a mom around was, was wild in, in many ways. Um, but it, it also had some, some lasting impact as well. You know, just, just my dad was so busy raising us, uh, that it, it was just hard for him to sort of have the, I don't think he had the tools really to be the empathetic, compassionate you know, checking in warm and fuzzy, huggy dad, you know, he was just, his roles, it was, it was served in other ways, but uh, we had a great experience growing up in, in Norwell. I did personally, anyhow, great friends, mm -hmm. great town. I went to private school. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking you and I in Massachusetts. I went to a, mm -hmm. a Catholic school, Zavarian Brothers High School, and then off to college at Fairfield University uh, down in Connecticut. Uh, I'm married. I have three awesome kids. I have two in college and, and one in, at Zavarian as well. Um, and, uh, I've been a professional salesman for shoes with my dad well, when he was alive, we were uh, in business together and then my two brothers joined us. So I've been selling swag, merchandise, promotional products for a very, very long time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then that, that's, that's Mark Resnick in a nutshell until, until my dad gets sick and then my life kind of flipped upside down a little bit. The swag guy. Yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a pretty cool title. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. So we had had Joe Joe Bafier on last week. I'm not sure if you got to listen yes. to the episode. Yeah, I know. But Joe. never I never met Joe in my life. And uh we had all these wild common threads as the podcast went through. You know, he tried to climb a 14 or I tried to climb a 14, all these things we had no idea about, um, and learned a lot from one another. It was really cool. Um, I'm a I'm an only child, middle child. So right around the same time, um, middle child, only child, <laughs> only, only, ch only child born by my mother. My mother only had one child by, okay. by natural birth. Um, I have a older stepbrother and sister, um, that never lived with me, but they were older and they, you know, there was care for them by my, by my, uh, stepfather. And then I have a, a younger brother that was uh, adopted when I was in seventh grade, um, who is, who's a, a an amazing uh, young man. I, it's call him kid because he's my kid brother. But um, so I have I have a little bit of only child syndrome and a little bit of middle child syndrome, I think. So it's a it's a weird, a weird uh, mix. Um, but, you know, so you and you also my, I, I worked with my father, you worked with your father, um, none of the other siblings got involved. So I could just imagine, um, you know, the uh, 
was it the My Three Sons? I'm thinking of the the old sitcom. I, was it My Three Sons? You know, you, your dad and his three sons in the yeah. same business together. My dad and I were in the water business, spring water. So we 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 worked with heavy water bottles, five gallon bottles, and um, yeah, it was it was interesting when we would get into a, a heated discussion or one of the many times that he would fire me um, because <laughs> you know f- family businesses don't require HR. Right. It's it, that's the one thing that, you know, when you go work for somebody after you work for family, you're like, wait a second, I can't say that. I can't just th- I just can't throw things and have a tantrum and kick stuff. And what is this? This is this isn't fun. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that. Thank God. We, we fought, yeah. I fought with my brothers, not with my dad. He was chill. Yeah. My, my dad was um, my my dad was uh, he was a lesson guy. Like he, he would, he, even if, if there was something easier for you to do, you had to learn the lesson of the hard work that had to be done by someone. So, you know, the, an example was we used to have, um, uh, 54 five gallon bottles stacked three high. So you take 18, put a piece of plywood, take 18, put a piece of plywood, take 18, and you would shrink wrap them five gallon bottles, 40 pounds. So you do the math 54. Um, it's really easy to use a forklift you know, gas powered forklift to pick up those pallets and, and do all that stuff. My dad started the business a couple of years before me where he didn't have a forklift. So he would say, you know, use the pallet jack. And so I had to use the pallet jack for a period of time before I was allowed to use a forklift, not because of my age or my experience, but just because I had to, I had to see what it was like to go through what he went through to get to where he got to, you know, where he got to get in the forklift. Um, and it wasn't mean. I don't think it was mean. I, I think it was great lesson learning. Yeah. Um, I think it was great lesson learning, but I but I don't know. But uh, yeah, family business is not for the faint of heart. Even when you get along well, there's still those those trials and tribulations and challenges. I always tell people like you probably. Um, I don't know if you did or not, but I always had that ghost of of um, you know people going, oh, he works with his father or works for his father. You know, what would he be doing if? He didn't have his dad or some others, you know, this silly, stupid stuff where people think it's so much easier to work for family when it's so much harder because you don't have just the the professional obligation to do awesome work. You have the personal obligation of doing awesome work because it carries with you. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinners often talked about inventory and truck trips and things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah no, but, we, we had a good experience. It wasn't like that thing. It was more of a uh, first of all. I don't know about you, but I never thought I'd ever work with my dad, right? Yeah. Like, no way. I no, I, I, I've worked with my dad since I was, so I, I was, um, I was probably seven or eight going into third grade. Um, and my mom met my father. She rented the condo. We moved it to back to Easton and she, he was the landlord and mm. they ended up dating and then getting married. And then he, he made the ultimate decision, which I'm forever grateful for of adopting me. And yeah. allowing me to carry his last name, um, and so, but I worked for my dad for, for as far back as I could remember. He used to buy, um, he used to flip houses before flipping was cool. So he would, and but he would also rent properties. But we'd go, he'd buy the most beat up hmm. house, and I can remember one in Fitchburg, and it was like a, it was a legitimate crack shack. It was a yeah. it was a dilapidated drug house, and I can remember being eleven years old and you know, basically tearing the walls apart and working with them. So I, I worked with my father um, reluctantly or um, voluntarily or involuntarily since I was about 10. 
So um, that was actually most of our relationship. And it wasn't bad. We, we got to argue with each other. I always say about the HR and all that stuff. It was fun. Like arguing mm -hmm. with my dad about stuff was great. We had, we had, we had a great, uh, uh, it, it taught me a lot. Um, and we'll t talk more about that. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing to, to, uh, to, to do. So, um, but let's, let's get into, um, let's get into Alzheimer's. Before we get into the book, before your dad was sick, what did you know about Alzheimer's and dementia? Did you have an experience or did you yeah. know much about it? Zero. I mean, literally, uh, my wife's family has been vacationing in the Poconos for, I don't know, I think 50 years straight. Honestly, the same same third week in July that they've been going to the same resort. And there was one one man there that I, I took a liking to. He's such, such, such a nice guy. He was a salesman like me. Uh, he was, you know, he was a dad. He, he was just amazing. And he was the only person I knew, you know, it was, like, it was one of those things where the next year he was like, you could tell he wasn't himself. And then mm -hmm. out. And he was the only guy I ever knew who had uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. Literally, probably until my dad got sick. And then all of a sudden it's just floodgates. Everybody, everybody has a story, you know? Right. So I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about it. I just knew that it was terminal. And yeah when we got the diagnosis, it was just like, okay, what does that mean? Like we talking months, we talking years, we talking, I didn't know Jack. I had to start over. I just literally had to start over from Google. Yeah. 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 I, I had my, um, I had my childhood best friends who are still my best friends, Terry and Todd Hedrick twins, um, their grandfather who we called chief, um, who was a, who was a great guy. Um, but he got Alzheimer's and, we were kids and it was like you would you didn't you you didn't understand what the disease really was and you know he he was never really in pain um most of the stuff that happened was was kind of i hate to say it amusing it was like every day he, he had one thing that he, he did every day he went and checked the mail every day because he was waiting for i think a letter from the president because he was going back to when it was like he was in i think world war ii oh yeah or world war one and he would go to check the mail every day. Their driveway was like 50 feet long. And so one day he's out checking the mail and some woman, nice as can be, saw this seemingly dazed and confused person and said, excuse me, do you know where you live? And he's like, wish to hell he had some or said one of his coined <laughs> phrases. And she puts him in the car and she drives 10 miles to the police department and drops him off because she said he was lost. He was literally at the mailbox 50 feet away, right? And so, but his kids... As kids, and it wasn't my family member, you didn't look at it or take the time to go, what exactly is this disease? How does it impact and affect the, the patient, the person? But also, how does it impact the person and the people around them? Because it go, you go through stages. And, you know, I don't know if the stages that you went through were similar or not. But, you know, m we went through the stage of um, my dad was frustrated because he couldn't remember things then there was this period where i would get frustrated because i'm like why isn't he remembering anything mm -hmm. then there was the stage that he's gone like he's here but he's gone and and then you just have like a constant sadness of like you see the person but he's not there and 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 that's really that's where where i'm at right that's where now. you're at right now yeah yeah where where is he living? Is he in a home or is he? Yeah, he's in a home. He's been moved a couple of times, but he's in yeah. a home and and uh, he's in a good home now. He's in Westwood, yeah. um, so not not too far away. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, 
it it just I, I was much in the same boat as you was like I didn't know anything and then you have to read up really fast yeah. um and it the, it seems like time goes by really really quickly as far as how things progress and how you go you know I can remember I can remember the last day that I knew that he would never know my name again Me right too. yeah and it's it's just like what <laughs> so um I, I was very lucky i spent so much time with him because yeah. when he moved out of his house he was 10 minutes from my home and sharon yeah so i i literally i, I was going to ask you this but you worked with, uh, we both worked with our dads yep had a pretty good relationship and i tell people all the time though i i never really knew my dad i i never really knew who he was or what he was about or what his story was until he got sick did you i mean yeah you, you're saying your dad taught you a lot of lessons and my dad wasn't like that. So I, I he was a very quiet man and didn't share that much. Did, did you feel yeah. like? You 100%. Well? Yeah. So, yeah. so I live in my parents' house. I bought my parents' house. They got divorced in, um, they got divorced in, uh, I guess, 2005, 2006. And my fiance and bought our parents' house when my parents' house, when they got divorced, cause no, it was the beginning of the recession. Nobody was mm. buying you know, at, at fair market value. And, and, uh, so it just made sense. My mother and my now 100 year old grandmother lived right next door to me. And my hundred year old grandmother has dementia, but she's rocking. Like she's, she's, she's like, she's amazing. Like I saw her yesterday and I was like, Hey Lola, I love you. And she's like, you love me. And I'm like, yeah, of course I love you. And she goes, I love you too. And it's like, that's cool. Right. She still has some yeah. functionality and stuff. My dad moved a half a mile away. And for a long time, um, my mother and my father got along probably the best they ever got along with. I'm like, you guys should have just stayed married and just moved out of lived in separate houses. Um, but I talked to my dad literally every single day from 1996 to, um, this past April, like he was in a home for, he was in a home for f since February of 2020. And there were only four days that I didn't talk to him um literally yeah. it was yeah. it was just every day yeah but a lot of my conversation from you know 1996 when we kind of got into business together um to to uh, probably 2014 2015 it, there wasn't a lot of substance and my dad was a vietnam helicopter pilot he suffered from ptsd he was in the 101st um known as the tip of the spear um he wasn't uh, affectionate he wasn't, you very rarely saw his greatest animation was at Northeastern hockey games when I was a kid where he would yell at the referees and say, if you had another eye, you'd be a Cyclops. Like he didn't, he didn't, you know, he wasn't an overly animated person, um, like with excitement or happiness or joy. Um, so yeah, I didn't, it wasn't until he, he was diagnosed with 2000 in 2016. I didn't know he was true, what his diagnosis was in the severity until almost 2020. Yeah. Um, so because um, he, had, he had a couple good years of yeah you know, normalcy, right? You right. Know? Yeah. Before, yeah. But um, you know, the the what I found was for whatever reason I started asking him questions. Like I don't know if you did this or didn't do this, you know, oh, yeah. for your life, but you know, I forgot to ask my dad a lot of questions. Yeah. Like I took a lot of advice. I listened to things he said, but I never really asked him questions. You know, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? Or what was your experience like for this? Um, he was always willing to give me advice. 
Yeah. And some of it, most of it I didn't want at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I forgot to ask questions until probably 2015, 2016. Um, our house got destroyed in the polar vortex in 2015. And so he built this house. Uh, my family built this house. Yeah. And so we were kind of talking about, you know, the different things in construction and things that he did. So, um, but uh, it's interesting. Like I think if we had a hundred people that all had family members either that have that are living with dementia, Alzheimer's or have passed with Alzheimer's or dementia, I think they'd all say the same thing, which is I didn't know anything about it until not that it was too late, but before it already was well on its way with us. And the experience mm -hmm. was very reactionary. Like, I don't think there's a playbook that says when this happens and they forget their name, this is what you do. Um, yeah. Just, people don't talk about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so true. I, I think that's kind of the, one of the reasons why I wanted to get my thoughts on paper was because I didn't want my kids to not know my story. Right. And I think the, what you just said is so true. Like we don't know anything about the disease, whether it could, it might not be Alzheimer's, could be Parkinson's, could be cancer and you don't know anything about it. But the point is how many of us really didn't know our parents other than in their role as a parent? But who, yeah. who were they? You know, what were they like? What were their interests? What were they really like as a person? That's that's the part that I was a blessing to to discover, and that's what you you probably went through as well, just to see the other side of this non professional relationship. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this is, and this is, they're not a paid sponsor. I actually don't have any paid sponsors, so that doesn't that doesn't go against anything. But story worth, I I, I would say, if you don't buy a story worth subscription for a loved one that's older, at least older. Um, you should absolutely think about doing it. It's about 120 bucks and it is a game changer. So <clears throat> when COVID happened, so my dad got in a car accident in January, 2020, and that was a trigger effect of mm -hmm. what was to happen of his um, advancement of dementia. He went into a home, he came out because of COVID and went back in one. He's been in one for the last two years. And so for Christmas of 2020, I, I did some soul searching. And while my mother lives right next door, and my mother's really the only person other than my grandparents, my grandmother, she's the only person that's been with me my entire life. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at my father and going, I don't know a lot and I wish I did. And his library's closed. He's not dead, but his library's closed. The, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the information knowledge is gone. The vault is closed, yeah. So I bought a story worth subscription. And what that is, is every week a question is sent to your loved one that you care about, they pick the question. Now, you if you, they pick the question and they send the, the question to you um, for your approval, but I haven't looked at the questions, but there I, I've looked at a couple of them. So it'll say, you know, do, did you have a lot of friends as a child? You know, what was your high school experience like? You know, what kind of car, what was your first car and why did you like it or hate it? Like there's, 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 there's questions every week that they formulate that the person provides an answer to, and then they put it in book form when it's done after a year. Well, awesome. I, we renewed it a second year. You can go do up to like 400 pages. So at the end of this, there's going to be a book that's going to be my mother's story. And, and it'll have, you know, in essence, 104 questions that I may not or may not have asked, but I'm sure my mother's going to put a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know that would have made sense for me to know. Um, that is well you should first of all you should get them as a sponsor because that is it's a, it's a great product it, but it yeah. goes with an awesome theme right that's such an right. awesome product and yeah and you're such a good salesman just give them a call well, as soon as we get off the phone yeah. 
Hey, you, you guys need a sponsor, so I'm gonna I'll give away StoryWorth subscriptions every episode. Yeah, but it's uh, but it's but it's cool. You can put pictures in there. Like how there's so many pictures that I know were you know because of cameras today that's so different from when we were kids. It's like you know when the instant Polaroid came out, right. like you waving it like this to see if it's a good photo. But like every picture was a good picture, but you don't know where they are because they're in shoeboxes and other places. You oh, can. I, I have no pictures of my dad. It's crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have, I mean, I just, since he got sick, I mean, there's no childhood photos. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I found a bunch, um, which I'm very lucky for. Um, and I, but I've also found a bunch that, um, they were, they were interesting because they were, I found a bunch that was just me like that, you know, it was like, they were taking, and I didn't realize that they were proud pictures. They were just taking pictures of, you know, um, which was cool. And, and like you, they're, they're not a lot of pictures. There's, there's a, I say a bunch, but you know, one photo album worth, uh, you know, not, not 47,000 pictures like I have in my camera with my kids and you know, all of the, every movement we take every day. <laughs> so, so, um, so I started be awesome to write a book. Was, the book was supposed to be, be awesome. The essential elements of kicking ass, but, uh, it took me five years to graduate high school. Um, very fortunate to be a, a fairly, um, well-known keynote speaker quickly and have been traveling to 46 states and this podcast and all this other stuff has prevented me from writing. Um, I think I heard or read somewhere that, you know, you, you were a, a big journaler. So I'm um, writing 300 and, and I, and you did say, you did warn me yesterday. I was driving and I said, I'm, I'm going to try to get through this book as much as I can before um, we talk, but it's 340 pages. So don't worry. It's big font. It's easy to read. You'll get through it. I didn't get through it, but it, I did get to it. And, um, you know, first of all, how hard was it to write this book and how much of the journaling was, was helpful in doing that? Cause I know there's a lot of people that are going to watch and listen to this, that they have a story, they want to share it. Yeah. Um, and you know, first steps, best steps, um, yeah. to get to that point. And how long did it take you to write this? Cause there's a lot in here, like that, uh, three part question to you. Yeah, let me let me walk you back a little bit. Because of the relationship I had with my parents, which meaning my mom was not around when I was growing up. I mean, she was in my life, but she wasn't in the household. Uh, and because my dad wasn't emotional and you know didn't really ask me these questions, how's your day going, whatever. Um, I didn't have anyone to talk to growing up, especially in middle school, and these things start to get weird and awkward. Like, and I just, I. I I started journaling. Don't ask me how. I just needed something. I just needed pages, somebody to talk to. <laughs> it, sounds, mm -hmm. it sounds crazy, but I was basically just talking to myself in my journal. And I kind of kept that practice up uh, throughout my life. It was just a coping mechanism. Uh, I, again, I just, even when I was an adult, I just didn't feel like I had that inner circle that I could just kind of write whatever I want without feeling judgment. Yeah. Uh, when my dad got sick, I only journaled literally for. Uh, less than a month. And I realized pretty quickly that there was a story there that just went beyond capturing thoughts mm -hmm. and just started appreciating everything he'd done for me. And, uh, I just, I, I, well, we're both part of Jesse's club, the calendar club. So I don't know if you, if you've actually had a chance to, um, is the Masogi part of the calendar club? Yeah. 
Okay, I, so, haven't, I haven't I haven't picked mine because everybody else is just an animal, and I'm like uh, to, to get to the end of my driveway and check my mails. Like no, no, your, yours is yours is done. We we, we actually your Masogi is to write this book. That's, that's yeah, honestly, I'm not okay. kidding. Your yeah. Masogi is to write this book, um, and we're gonna have the rough draft done by December 31st. Put that on paper right now. I'm gonna uh, help. I just I just wrote it at the bottom uh-huh. the bottom of my front page. So uh, so I was journaling. I I was my dad was sick. My life was changing. Like Jesse says, the bus ride is short. And I said, I'm going to write this book. Partly because what I just told you, I want my kids to know my story. But also, as I was writing, I, I was realizing that, okay, my dad was teaching me things that I never knew he was teaching me. He didn't know he was teaching me. Lessons I learned from him, from hockey, mm-hmm. from coaching. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what, what would be the lessons I would want my kids to, to know when, when I left this earth? So that mm-hmm. was sort of the framework of the book. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's my story. It's, this yeah. is how I grew up. This is like you, you grew up with divorced parents. You were, def- you were dysfunctional. You had your own flaws, limitations, and demons. And then I, and then in my dad's story, I, I tried to, you know, capture his story as well. And he was flawed and screwed up and messed up and had his addictions and gambling and drinking and things like that. And then I talked about the sickness because, you know, caring for my dad was just life-changing. Mm-hmm. And, but I, but I end the book on, you know, inspirational. This is how I got through the darkness of Alzheimer's and COVID. Long story short, to answer your question, it took about two and a half years to write the book. Mm-hmm. It took about 10 months to knock out the first draft. And again, I was very motivated. I wanted to write this book before my, I wanted to publish the book before my dad died, mm-hmm. which I didn't get to. Um, I was very motivated to write the book. And my Masogi was to, was to do it as well. They, they pushed me, my coach pushed me pretty hard on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, was, I just cranked it out and the first draft was garbage as yours will be too. It, it'll be terrible. Yeah. And then, yeah, then it's, then it's like the real deal. Like you, you can go one of two ways. You can, you can make it a hobby and, and it'll take you forever or you can just make it. Uh, you have a lot of jobs, but this is, this is for me, it was another job. You know, I sold by day and I wrote at night. I got an editor um, and together we, we hashed together a, a nice, nice story. I self-published through Amazon, which is amazing. Self-publishing isn't what it used to be 10 years ago. I mean, it's, it's an incredible uh, industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, when you bought my book, my books aren't sitting on the, on the shelf at Amazon. You bought my book you know, last week. Two days later, you had it. It's printed on demand, yeah. which means you can upload and change the story anytime you want if you have a typo or anything like that. Long, long, to answer your question, though, uh, it, it took writing. I wrote every day, whether it was five minutes or five hours. I wrote every single day, or at least six days a week. Mm-hmm. I and what I encourage people to do is, is I I also and, and you're a coach, so you get this. Like, if if you're serious about changing your life, you know, I think a coach is an incredible investment. Mm-hmm. You said the calendar club was a good investment for you. I actually joined a publishing school, a self-publishing school. Um, I, I paid for it. And I had a coach there who kept me accountable and, mm-hmm. you know, I was a pretty good writer. So I didn't, I didn't really, they, they actually can, the school is really designed for people who have no clue how to write and they walk you through everything. Oh, that's step. me. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's, there's a, there's a program in place for that, that kind yeah. of keeps you on track. Um, so I, I followed the program, wrote every day. And honestly though, it was just such a passion. It was just, it, it wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was hard. The rewrites were incredibly hard what to keep in, what to keep in. And mostly it's hard because who the hell wants to read my story? 
that's that's what it is it's imposter syndrome it's like who am i to write a book but once you the more you the more you develop that writing muscle the more confidence you get and as the story started to come together i was like oh, i think i have something here yeah uh, so that's how it happened it, it's basically you need part like dave cook says you need partnerships right yeah i'm your partner i'm now your yeah. accountability partner yeah. you and i will will get together in easton and get to the coffee shop and we'll yeah no that's the the reality and and thank you for thank you for doing that and sharing and now giving me my my misogi uh that that i've been struggling with um you know the reason the challenge with my writing of the book is i don't i I was originally writing a book called if you don't care you don't count a salesperson's guide to the importance of caring about your client because there's so many bad salespeople, mostly because there's bad sales leaders i i used to blame salespeople, but sales leaders have become um, profit before people all over the place. And they're just terrible. Like they don't have any engagement with clients. And I'll tell people that. And I, I lose business consulting for companies when I'm like, you know, if you want to do better, your sales leader actually has to talk to a client. They actually have to see what the client yeah. goes through. They have to understand the client journey. Don't just look at a spreadsheet or read a sales book and say, you know, this is what you do. So that's how I started. And when I started going down that path, I was becoming very insultory. And one of my, um, mentors and someone that's been with me since he actually created be awesome because i used to say be awesome and i had the shirts done before and everything else he woke up one morning he's like that's it it's be awesome the essential elements of kicking ass and it started out as my story and as i started Mm -hmm. going through this and meeting you and i've met some others and you know one of the other members uh jen who i haven't had a chance to talk to but she might be on the podcast on friday she'll be the first woman to climb the seven second highest mountains in seven continents and has seven kids and i sit here and go I could write a book about all the people that I get to meet or the, I mean, and random people, like I was on a flight from Albuquerque and this woman raises her arm like this and she's got the letter, she's got the word breathe and periodic elements right here in a story about suicide awareness or Santa Claus. I sit here and go, that's what I should write a book about, like engagement with people because you care about people, Yeah, you know, and just look at people as humans and care about them. Maybe that's what it is. So my struggle has been, what do I put in the book? Um, but back to your book, cause you, you struck a chord. I'm, I'm getting a little emotional here because I, 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 when you said you wanted to have the book done before your father died, was it because you, did you get to say thank you to your father while he was still like cognizant and before he had Alzheimer's, like, did you get a chance to just say, you know, thank you for being my friend? Did, 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 did my dad, did you get that opportunity? I, I would. It's a tough question to answer. I, you know, we, we, I shared 200 meals and 600 cups of coffee with my dad during his sickness. And I don't, I don't know if I can honestly say that I said, thank you that way mm-hmm. that he knew. <laughs> Again, I'm like, I'm like torn about this because, um, I don't know if I literally looked him in the eyes and said, dad, I just want to thank you for everything you did for me. I love you so much. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I love you all the time. But I don't know if I actually said that until he mm-hmm. was like on his deathbed, like literally the day he died. Yeah. When I almost died in my arms, I was crying and saying, Dad, it's time to go. You did so you did so well. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. My brother, you know, Bill and I and John, we we love you. Everything you did for us was so great. Did he hear me? I have no idea. Yeah. Um so simple, simple answers. I probably didn't. As soon as I, as soon as he got sick, 
I don't know what it is. Like it's just one of those. Um, it's not a man or emotional thing. It's just it's just hard to do. Yeah. So I, I wish I had. Is, is what I'm telling you. Yeah. I didn't. I haven't. Yeah. Even though. Even though, I know that he most likely will not understand what I've said. I haven't. I have. I I know that I lived my life to have accept acceptance and hopefully some admiration from him and, and, you know, appreciate that he knew that I appreciate all he did by my actions, but I never, it wasn't until after he got really, really sick that I go, wow, I never, I never actually sat down and said, you know, you had a choice in life. You didn't have to adopt me. You didn't have to give me the opportunity to have the greatest last name known to man mm -hmm. that makes it seem like I'm in a witness protection program. <laughs> you, you, you didn't have to, you know, teach me the lessons and you didn't have to have the patience or impatience um, that, that you've had with me and, and so many different things. Like I was thinking about this today, this morning before coming on and I'm like, what's a great memory or lesson that my dad taught me that I had no idea about that took me years and years to go, Oh, that's why he did it. And I was like nine years old. We were in Cape Breton. We'd go to Cape Breton all the time. Every, every summer it's where his family was from. <clears throat> and we went to this cove and it was in the middle of nowhere. You literally had to walk 40 minutes back then. You, you, you know, you didn't have phones or anything. You had to talk to one another, walk through all this treacherous terrain. And then you went down this nasty ravine. I mean, it was probably a hundred feet down. And it was just this cool beach, all rocks um, and, and, you know, big waves. You would never take your nine-year-old down this today without, you know, a bubble around them. But when we got down there, there was a rock, a bluff out to the end. And there was, there were lobster traps um, with the rope connected to the rock. And my dad went over and he cut all the ropes. And I was like, why did my dad cut all the ropes? Hmm. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing? He goes, it's, these aren't lobster fish, fishermen. These people are poaching. And so he just didn't even think twice about it and cut the ropes. And I'm sitting there going, man, my dad's a badass, like, you know, <laughs> nine years old. Like, he just doesn't care. Like, look at him go. And what we didn't know is that the poachers were actually at the top of the bluff coming down to check their traps. And they saw my father do this. And they started dropping rocks down, you know. Come, I mean, it was, it was one of those scared for my life things. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later that my dad would say, you know, he, he would tell me things like if you do something wrong and you don't know what's wrong, doesn't make it not wrong. It's, it's still wrong and to do the right things. And, you know, he had fishermen and family members that live their life by doing things the right way. And people shouldn't have get a right to do things the wrong way. And if you have an opportunity to, to stop it, you should, should he have cut the ropes? I don't know. I don't know that I would have in the position we were in, but that was his, his lack of thought of doing things. But I, I, I have like a hundred of those experiences where I go, oh, I, I didn't say thank you. And you know, the hard part for me and, and my mother might be listening to this, you know, I, I still haven't been able to figure out the words to say thank you for, for, to her. Like I've cried and I, and I, but I struggle and I think we all do. And then we get to that point at the end and we go, we didn't get to do that. And so when yeah. you said I wanted to do the book before he passed, I, you know, I, I sit there and go, Maybe sometimes it's easier to just write something and say, you know, here, thank you, even though he was in his, his stage of, of dementia. That's the, the, the Alzheimer's. Um, my yeah. friend Bob Bob Bogardis, who's uh, 80, um, he's got a baseball field named in his honor, in his name. And when he called me, he asked me to come to, to, the, to the honoring, the unveiling of the sign. 
I said, Bob, um, do they know you're not dead? <laughs> and, he, and he says, he says, what? I said, I don't know anybody that gets a recognition of a field or a bench or a flagpole or anything that isn't already dead. Right. And, and since then, I've been trying to say, you know, and I'm the, like I say, I'm the worst culprit. There's so many people on my list that I need to say thank you to. And so, you know, that was kind of where I, I thought that that book thing is. And it's it's not just saying thank you. It, I think it's no. that, I think it's that head nod of like, you know, hey, thanks. I appreciate you. You know, and the person goes, wow, you make me feel good. Um, doesn't yeah. need to be like a, a long drawn out thing. No, I, I and you were you were lucky, I, I think, in some ways, because you had specific examples of you, you saw your dad in action doing mm -hmm. something that you remembered. I didn't have that experience. I didn't. I didn't. I don't have memories of looking back and saying, "Oh, I, this is what I learned from my dad when he did this." Yeah. My dad taught me stuff behind the scenes, like mm -hmm. just he was his kindness, mm -hmm. his, how he treated people. Yeah, was was amazing. Like he was just such a gentle soul. He was just he never looked past people. Yeah, you know, he wasn't phony. Um, so those are the lessons that I learned from him that, yeah. I, that I'm trying to, that in the book, I, you know, share with my kids basically and saying, these are the, my 10 commandments of living that some of them, which I learned from my dad, just watching him, not necessarily yeah. a specific moment, but we're, we're, you got, I mean, I don't want to flip too much, but you got, you got a lot of material. Yeah. Um, and I think what, what happens is, is they say like, great is the enemy of good and, you know, mm -hmm perfection is like the enemy of doing like it doesn't have to be perfect we just have to start and, and that's that's part of the message of the book too is like don't wait for tragedy don't wait for a life-altering event to change your life mm -hmm. it's never too late or early to, to change or to pursue your passion so you know it doesn't have to be perfect you just have to start you know, if yeah. you want to lose weight just just do five push-ups a day or go for a one minute walk yep. if you want to meditate just do it for a minute a day you don't have to jump right in like you and I are ADHD and go all in and say, okay, 30 minutes a day, we're going to do this. It's not going to work. Right. Yeah. The, um, you, you hit something with, you know, as far as your examples and kind of behind the scenes, um, that I think that how do you do that? How do you do that with intention with your kids? Like, do you sit, do you, do you do a lot of stuff where you go, Oh, this is something you, like in your brain. Does it process? And it's something that you go, Oh yeah. My, you know, I, I learned this from my dad and this is how you're supposed Cause behind the like doing stuff behind a curtain. Hmm. It's hard. Like my grandfather used to always say that the saying that every grandfather would say, which is character is what you do when no one is looking. But in today's world and our kids world, now you've got older kids. I've got a 15 year old and a four year old and social media and and highlight reels that everybody's life is so awesome and fantastic and all of these you know yeah. philanthropic efforts you know crossing the old lady across the street and there's seven cameras set up and yeah. look at what this person did um what were what were some of your i guess i guess learning lessons and teaching lessons of the importance my kid fortunately for me my kids are naturally just just awesome kids like they my 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 15 year old is six foot three and 210 pounds size 14 foot and he is he is a gentle giant and if someone were picked on i was watching the burger king whopper jr commercial from a couple of years ago 
and it said that you know 12% of people um stuck st- stood up for a kid that was getting bullied in a burger king and 95% of people uh complained about their whopper junior being bullied i don't know if you saw that but no. i i have I'll, I'll put the link in but um my, I know my son Danny would be in the twelve percent. I know that he would, you know, he'd always stick up for the underdog. He just naturally did it. But in teaching my kids, trying to teach my kids lessons of the importance of doing things when nobody is looking for the sake of the, doing the right thing, yeah. uh, and I think a lot of that was instilled by my dad and by my mom um, and my grandparents. Um, I sometimes I, I just sit here and go, well, what what could I do differently, or how could I communicate it? Because like the lobster trap, it took me years. It took me years to be able to say, that's why he did it. Cause he never told me, I don't know if your dad, your dad probably didn't say, this is what I did. And here's why I did it. He just never. did it. And you had to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm trying to sit here and say, how do I do it and do it so that they don't get to this? Well, that's my dad telling me um, to do it and, and realize that the importance, here's the importance of why we cut those lobster traps. Not because, yeah. you know, my dad's a badass. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if you necessarily have to have those specific experiences. I mean, and like literally cutting ropes. I, I just know that, like you, I feel my kids are different. I feel like they're very respectful, and 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 I, I think that's just the parents, right? It's just watching your parents mm-hmm. be good people and do the right thing. I mean, yeah. that's that's to me, it's as simple as that. And I think when you when you see like your friends your kids, friends, and you, you know, who's a brat and who's a jerk and you look at their parents and you're like, Oh, that's why, you know, <laughs> um, I just think we, we live a certain principle. We, yeah. you know, we, we try and like in the book, when you go to the end, you know, these, these 10 commandments, you know, I think it's like around page two fifty. I just, I just laid them out and you know, I just one through 10 and, and I didn't plan this out. Honestly, Josh, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, this kind of happened by accident because my dad, my dad was a hockey coach and he had mm-hmm. these hockey commandments that we would recite before every single game. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he got us to do it because no, 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 no coach in their right mind could get a team of today's youth to do it. Yep. But in the locker room as a kid, we would, he would hand out these Xerox sheets and one kid would be assigned to read the commandment. And, you know, I will skate my, or I'll keep two hands on my stick and my, and my stick on the ice. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole team would shout it back. Yeah. And so when my dad died, uh, the book was, was still being written and I was pretty well into it. But when he got sick, people were like, I love you, dad. I remember his hockey commandments. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, Josh, 30 years later, and every single one of his hockey players who, who, who heard he was sick mentioned the 10 commandments, which got me thinking, okay. That was my dad's contribution, right? That everyone remembered his commandments. And, and I, in 30 years, what would I want my kids to remember? And right. so I tied in my my kind of just simple, simple, be kind, never give up, expect yeah. less. Half of them I learned from my dad just by watching him. And I think your kids will do the same. Just look at what you're doing now. You're you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're you're an incredible motivational speaker. You're obviously very kind and gentle. I know, I know you're, I don't even know you. But I know in the conversations we have, you're extremely generous. Those are the things that your your kids are going to see. Yeah, you're not doing things just to do them to make yourself look good. You're doing them because you care. Right. And that's that's just kids are smart. They pick that stuff up. Yeah. It you you your your dad uh, he won up to John Wooden. Um, <laughs> so um, because John Wooden had seven. 
and your dad went with 10. It's page 249. You were off by a page. Okay. Actually, my um, dad had, um, it was called the 10 commandments of hockey, but there were actually 29. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But there was like, yeah. The 10, the 10 here are never give up, be kind, forgive others, be yourself, always give more, be mindful, expect less, never make excuses, be grateful and forgive yourself. Yeah. Uh, those are some pretty good. Those are pretty some some pretty good rules to go by, and I only give that as a teaser. I'm not giving away all the secret sauce because you have a chapter on each of them. So yeah. people, if you want to see what that's about and what that means, then then you have to buy the book and you have to read it, which I'm gonna which I'm gonna do with some with some time here. Um, one of the things that's really cool about this um, build your life resume idea that just came in my head to do this. Um, so far, all my guests have written a book. And I have done a terrible job of reading in the last couple of years. So um, Joe Baffia's book, like I told you, a little bit easier, 94 pages. I've gotten through it. I read it's, it, uh, yeah. It's, it's, right, it's right here. It's a good read. Makes me want to go out and buy a vacation home. And he put a post this weekend that he was beachside. And uh, <laughs> for anybody that wants a, a cool beach vacation house, he's got one in North Carolina with two Peloton bikes and a workout room, um, which yeah. is a neat, neat little place, Spice Life. Um, but uh you're spot on like to, to get a, a team to, to, to buy into believe and, and repeat today is it's tough. Anybody like just getting people on board with a mission that is uh that's noble, that, that, that could make a difference. And that's, that's not just hockey. That's, that's just in life in general. That's just in, in work. Um, you know, one of the hardest things that, that I'm up against with, with folks is like, you know, I know a third of the people I talk to are going to just brush me off. Mm-hmm. They're just going to be like, it doesn't matter what I say. I, I could have a million dollar check waiting for them at the end. They're still going to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I've got a third of people that are, that they're in good shape. They're doing all right. And then there's this third on the fence that they're dealing with some challenges or trials mm-hmm. or tribulations. That's the third I want to get into. I always try. I don't want to get to everybody. I just want to get to, I want to get to the magic quadrant in the middle. Um, yeah that's not going to sway over to the sleep side. They're going to go to the active energy side and they're going to get through some stuff. Um, and, and I do that, you know, in trying, you're right. It's, it's one of those natural efforts, but it's, it's one of those things that I think about sometimes I just go, is there an easier way for me to communicate, you know, Hey, did you see that? Or how did you do it? But you don't want to do it by, by, by being that humble bragger at the same, same point in time. Right. But, um, that's, you you need the hard part. Yeah. Yeah, Because, um, you, you know, I, I don't like, but I mean, I do, I'm a, I'm a huge reader. I read everything. I mean, I'll read 30, 40, 50 books a year, but you you can tell quickly into a book, like what, not, not what the motivation is behind the author, but you can tell if they're forcing it, if they're just trying to make money and your, your story is like, you know, you, you'd back up your, your stories with, with genuine, you know, stories yeah. and that's, yeah. they're relatable. Yeah. Well, people can see through that. So I, I just think you, you need a book because yeah, that's that's where you reach that sweet spot of the people who actually who are looking. I, I couldn't believe like, I you know, I, I was hopeful that my, my book would have a message that people would relate to. But I was kind of blown away by the reaction of a lot of not just friends, either just strangers who said I could relate to a lot of what you wrote. And I was that, that's all you can ask for. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you got, like we talked yesterday, you've got actual sponsors in your book. Like, <laughs> I don't see, I don't see bestsellers that have sponsors. You know, when you talk about great is the, en- good is the enemy of great, but, you know, uh, 
Collins book that's the most written book, most read book in the world in history and business. Um, it, 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 he doesn't have sponsors. You got sponsors <laughs> in the back of your book. You got Jesse Itzler to to who's the be build your life resume founder and 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 you know someone that's has accumulated great wealth not just financially but but personally in life just living life to the fullest yeah. you got a glowing re uh reference or, or acknowledgement on the back of your book like that's that says something and if my memory is correct his father had alzheimer's and passed away yep yeah. yep yeah, that's right so yeah. you know Touching. But Jason's a good example. He's he could be a phony. He could be a total phony, right? Oh yeah. He's got enough money to not give a crap. This calendar club, this this be build your life resume. Yeah, I I know it's a business for him, but he's it's he's so passionate about it. Like yeah, you know, it's just I I love it. I res I don't know him that well, and you, we, neither one of us do. But right, I respect him and I appreciate his genuineness. So yeah, but I mean, you fig figure out what's so let's let's just conservatively. Like when you talk about, you know, when we talk about genuine, let's say he's worth, uh, well, let's say he bills out, he probably gets 50 grand, right, for a, for a keynote, an hour, right? Mm -hmm. He gives us 12 hours a year, virtual, mm -hmm. but it's pretty powerful virtual stuff. Yeah. So, so that's that's a $600,000 value for the members that we all yeah. get them. And, and there's only a couple hundred members that get there because of the timing of everything. So when you look at what the investment is and what they probably make, it's not a money maker for them. No. So it sounds like you know fifteen hundred bucks, fifteen hundred people, even at a thousand dollars a year, the the expense, the putting into technology, everything else, he's not doing it for the money. And he says no. it, and you know, and I tell some people, he's like, oh, he's making all this money. I'm like, who's he making money? I mean, he's got when we had the CEO of Dude Wipes, he's a member. But he got him for an hour. Like I can't do yeah. that. I can't get right. that. I can't get that guy for an hour. So you know, what's that worth? What's it cost? What's he got to give? Because you always got to do something to get something mm -hmm. here in, in the world. So he's got um, a team too. It's not just yeah. him. He's got a oh, full, yeah. full team working full time on, on on the calendar club. Right, and and you're right. He he could, and he still flies. He still flies commercial. You know, yeah. He 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 had a private jet company, and you see him flying with his family, flying commercial. Uh, you know, on occasion, it's like, wow, this guy's, you know, he's the real deal and grounded. I mean, I mean, not only that, his wife is is the owner of Spanx, who just, and she right. just sold it. I mean, I mean, they're billionaires. So, yeah, you know, to be able to have access to a billionaire in his mindset, and he's just so, he yeah. doesn't hold back. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. No. And he says stuff that you don't always agree with, too. He'll, he'll say things like, you know, that call that we listened to the other day, he's like, yeah. I'm so pissed that my kid didn't get into that school, not because he wasn't good enough, but because the way they handled it, they didn't handle right. it well. And he's like, that's it. She's on my blacklist forever. Like, yeah. I don't know if I agree <laughs> with that, but he's just like throwing it out there. You know, he's like, hey, this is how I feel. You know, it's funny. And we're just going off on a tangent on this. I listened to that same thing. I initially had the exact same feeling that he had thinking about, well, I just had a friend of mine that had shared with me that he they had tried to get their child into a, a private school, and it wasn't about money, it wasn't about anything, and the way that they went about basically telling that kid that they weren't good enough to be in the school, yeah. I was I I heard it, and I'm like, oh my god, I heard this from a friend, and I hear this from Jesse, and I'm I'm internally I'm getting angry because um, part of what I talk about with with regard to um 
especially in education institutions, is, is something that I stole from the president of Southern New Hampshire University, which he says, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And so when I heard that story from Jesse, I'm like, that's right. Blackball him for life. Put him, don't let him in the club. We don't want him. We don't want, and then I, and then I thought about it and I'm like, well, that first of all, that wouldn't be very awesome. And then second of all, sometimes we should have a difficult conversation, right. And, and call the person on it. And I don't know if he did or not, but he was, he was fired up mm-hmm. and, and emotional. And, and the reality is, you know, I think that's, I, I think in today's world, we have such a hard time of just being ourselves. I mean, if we, if you talk about, I mean, here's reality, you talk about politics, 50% of the people you're going to get upset that are, they're going to get upset with you. And they're not just going to get upset with you. They're going to, they're going to cease a, a lifetime friendship with you over how you vote. Like think about all of the hostility over, you know, Republican or Democrat. So I don't talk politics. I don't even talk politics in my house. I've got my feelings. They're great. I think it's the right decision that I have with the information I have, and I'm not going to try to force my way onto you. Um, but if you want to be that person, I'm probably going to talk to you less than go religion. Oh, right. No, I've, I've, I've lost friends since the yeah. last election. Yeah. And I, and I don't really get it. I don't, I don't really understand why we can't just disagree and just be friends, but it's so, it's so toxic. Yeah. Well, I don't want is... I don't want that in my life, Josh. And that was one of the things no. that when my dad got sick, I was like, I, I tried to unload all my unhealthy negative relationships. What's the point? What, what am I? investing my energy into these relationships, they're toxic. Yeah. So this was one of the things that happened with my dad um, after he, he started to get sick and, and I didn't know. Um, I obviously didn't know the severity of it. My dad had this way about himself where he kind of had these places and this was going back 30 years where he would, he would have his, his hangout spots. He used to smoke a pipe uh, you know, Captain Black, he'd dip it in there and stick it. And then he went to cigars. He, he chewed Red Man. Like he was just mm-hmm. a big tobacco. If he couldn't chew it or smoke it, he didn't, he didn't want it. Um, and so my mother would be like, you're not doing that in the house. So he started a habit in the, in the mid eighties where, you know, he'd go out and he'd park somewhere and he'd, and he'd read the newspaper. And so, um, but then when he was living on his own, he didn't have to do all that stuff. But when he started to get, dementia he started going to random places and parking and so people would call me and they'd be like hey dad was sitting in my parking lot for an hour what was he doing i said uh, probably reading the paper and it was a trigger to me about my dad and what helps me today which is i would tell my i would ask my dad because he was a he was a ferocious reader um i mean you always wanted him on your team with trivial pursuit and people go what's trivial pursuit it's a pie you know pie chart with different chapters and it was a board game and the, you couldn't look the you couldn't Google the answers. So you needed really smart people that read, you know, uh, dictionaries, encyclopedias and anything they could find. And so I thought my dad was just a very, um, just really wanting to take soak everything in. And one day I can remember asking him when I was in my twenties, I said, dad, I can't help but notice every day you read the, the Herald and the Globe. I said, they're two very different newspapers. So the Boston Herald and the Boston Globe, they're both Boston based newspapers, but the articles are both, um, like Fox and CNN or anything yeah. else, they, they they both have their own version of the same story. And so I remember asking my father, I said, dad, why do you, why do you, they both have the same stories. And he said, but they have different views. And if I don't look at both views, he said, if I look at both views, I'll go somewhere in the middle. Most likely I'll find something in the middle. But if I believe everything that the globe writes, or if I believe everything that the hell writes, first of all, I'm going to be very boring and I'm only going to be in a, a certain 
group clientele of, of people, you know, and I don't want that. I want to be able to have dialogue. I want to be able to have discussion and I want to be able to have my viewpoint, not somebody else's viewpoint. And that was, that was how he wrote his own narrative. Right. And yeah. that's the challenge that people don't have today. It's like, we get done with this, this podcast and someone puts a post and says, Mark and Josh sucked on Facebook. Yeah. All of their people. And don't, for those watching and listening, don't do that. It was just a joke. That was an example. We're awesome. That's why it's Be Awesome Podcast. But like so few people actually take that stance, myself included sometimes. I go down rabbit holes just like anybody else. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 a it's it's hard, right? Yeah. I mean, when you when I don't know if you can remember the first friend that you lost uh, a friendship with over a political viewpoint. Oh, and yeah. it's a, and mine was an assumption. Mine was a, mine was just a, a blind assumption that based on something I said, obviously made me one side or the other. And the person's like, done. I don't, we're not having a conversation any further, but it hurts. Right. Yeah, it does. Sad. So, but, but again, you know, 10 years ago, I'd be pissed at that person and bitter. I, you know, now I'm just like, yeah, that's, it's, it's the 50 thing. I'm, I'm closing in on 50 and I, 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 I don't, I don't worry as much about it. And I realize that the world is a whole lot bigger with a whole lot more awesome people than not awesome people. So I just need to move on to the next, yeah, you know, the next awesome person. I mean, that's, that's been this learning lesson so far with this, this, um, we'll call it experiment. Um, you know, I actually have, you know, one or two members that they, they have a story that just hasn't been written yet. And I, and I want to help them kind of like, you're going to help me on this, on this journey with the book. It's like, there's so many great people out there that to focus on that, that negative person in your life or negative people that obviously have something going on, right? Yeah. They, they have something going on. When you talk about being a salesman, it's like you talk about all the times you get hung up on. How many times have you ever been hung up on? Honest, off, off topic completely. But I ask salespeople this. How many times do you get hung up on by people when you're able to actually tell them the story that you want to tell them? Like how that never happens. People hang up on salespeople because the last salesperson did a really bad job and they're angry or they, they just got a bad diagnosis with something. You don't actually get to talk to them. I always tell salespeople, it's, it's not you. It's, it's, it's something else. And to, to, right. to, focus, to focus on that reality of, of life. So, because um, that's, that's how people can be, you know, not, not good people with, with uh, sales folks, unfortunately. Well, do, do you feel bad behavior? Um, here I am interviewing you, but do you feel once your dad got sick, now he's, now he's, he's you know, he's not the yeah. dad that you once knew, but, how did your mindset change? How did your outlook on the rest of your life? You know, you're almost 50. I'm 50. Like combined yeah. with Jesse's program, like, I mean, it, has it been life changing or have yes. you changed your life because of your dad's diagnosis and sickness? I'd be lying if I said I, I haven't struggled for the last two and a half years and I can't blame it on COVID. I have, um, I have struggled with, um, you know, what does the rest of my life look like? I've struggled with what more could I do for my dad? I'm in a little bit of a different situation regarding my ability to help my father. Um, you know, fortunately as of today, right now, he's in a great place. Um, um, and I've struggled. I, I, I share with people all the time. I've, I've, I've had 15 years of therapy. I've, I've been away from it for a little bit. I'm probably going to be going back to it because uh, I like everybody have have demons and difficulties mm -hmm. that um, that that creep up on me, and you know, 
I haven't gone out and done the the stereotypical buy a Corvette when you have a midlife crisis, but you know, I'm I'm probably in some form of 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 that um, with a four year old. You know, that's a hard like I when I had a four year old. The last time I had a four year old, I was in my my barely mid thirties. Now I'm creeping up on fifty, and it's like Amy and I joke that that chance is going to be going to, to to day school, country day school in a couple of weeks. And it's the same country day school that Danny went to 11 years ago. And we were the average couple. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we'll joke and be like, yeah, they're just going to think we're chances grandparents. Yeah. And, and so when we, we make those comments, we don't realize what it does in our brain, how that reality. And we go, man, am I really that old? Do I really have this short amount of time. And your dad was in his eighties. If yeah. I remember correctly, when he was sick, my dad was diagnosed when he was barely 70. Yeah. It's young. So, you know, my dad's 76 years old. Like, it's not yeah. like, you know, it's not like my grandmother who's a hundred. Um, right. and you know, and she's active and living at home still. She lives with my mother and needs a lot of great, a lot of care, but, um, it's not, um, so my head, most days I'm in a really tough spot. I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of fog in my head trying to figure out, okay, what do I, what do I do? How do I do it? And and how do I get to where I want to go? You know, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like I talked to um, my life insurance, you know, for those of you that are any age, you should have life insurance. Um, and I'm not a life insurance salesperson, but maybe I should get a sponsorship yeah, for that along with story worth. But, you know, I have life, I have life insurance, but when I talk to, um, and I, and I'm overdue to talk to him by six months, Bob Mance, my guy, um, you know, he says, what do you want your life to look like in 20 years? Right. And I go, I'm sitting here saying happy. I want to be, I want to be happy and I need to figure out what that is. And I, I don't necessarily know what that is right now. Yeah. Um, but my dad is, um, I go most days, um, feeling guilty. I have a lot of guilt. Um, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of feeling like I wish I did things a whole lot differently and trying to get rid of that remorse is very difficult. And that's why I say, you know, I'm most more likely than not need to go back and see my, uh, my good friend who I get to confide in once a week for an hour that he's not allowed to say anything to anyone. So, um, the trust tree, but, um, yeah, Yeah, I don't, so I, 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 it's easy for me to say, go the guilt like oh the regret I, I think you've been a good son but you, you have to ask yourself like what what how is it helping you how is yeah, it's like, not, it's not yeah. there's, yeah. there's nothing redeemable about guilt or regret or grudges or anything so i mean did you I, have but did you have it when you were in it like when your dad was still here did you ever feel like guilty like when he was in the nursing home were you just like i'm i'm here and i get to be out and no no i didn't have that i like i said i spent a lot of time with him and i just every day was a gift so i i was just i i i was more reacting i wasn't really thinking about the guilt and, and it, the guilt was basically obviously i wish i had spent more quality time with him when you went mm-hmm. when you're when your 15 year old is in the throes of growing up when he's between 7 and 15 you're just so busy that you you know of course you wish you had spent more time with your dad and you know or your parents but my, my, i think my regret was really just again not not asking those questions 
Yeah. The regret was not knowing him the way I right. thought I should have known him. And hopefully others can hear, heed this message and start to get to know their parents. But yeah, we'll no, I, didn't have that regret. I, I was, I was truly, I mean, compared to my brothers, I think we had a different experience. I mean, I was, I was literally appreciative every single day that I got to have a cup of coffee with him. Yeah. And I was, I, I think that's, yeah, I think that, don't get me wrong. At the same time, I'm I'm praying to God that God takes him peacefully into sleep every single day. Yeah, you know. So I'm I'm having both thoughts. You know, I'm like, yeah. please God, please take him peacefully tonight. Yes. But at the same time, I'm like, please God, let me have one more cup of coffee with him. Right. And that's how. That's that's really how it was for me every day. So I I didn't know my father was being moved recently, and I went to go visit him, and I walked in and and uh, did as I normally do, sign in and did all that mm -hmm. stuff and. The director comes running out and she says, who are you here to see? And I said, my dad and I said his name. And she just looked at me and she goes, I'm so sorry. And I immediately had this yeah. feeling and I just go, don't you tell me he's dead. Don't tell me he's dead. Yeah. Wow. And, and I, I don't know if it was because I didn't let her finish because I heard I'm so sorry that I just stopped her from her saying yeah. he was discharged and went someplace else. And that was the first time that I was like, I'm in the same boat you are. I don't wish my father dead, but I want him to, I want, I, I, I want my father to live in peace, mm -hmm. hopefully in some form of an afterlife or something else. Cause he's not living his life. He's just, right. he's so I know that my brain, as much as I fight saying that, I know there's times in my brain that I go, I wish that he could be at peace. And that's most likely with his, with his parents and yeah. whatever that, whatever that is. But when that happened, I was like, my whole life just froze for a second and I'm like, no, I'll take, I'll take him closing the door on me. I'll take him not knowing who I am. I'll take being able to put my arm around him. I'll take trying to say, I love him. I'll take all these things as long as I can for as long as I can. I, you know, sometimes I think it's selfish, but, um, but that's, I'm with, that's yeah. And, and I think my guilt or regret is, is that I got to have coffee. We had coffee every day um, for years for, better part of 15 years we would have coffee just about every single day He'd come to my house or yeah. we'd, be, we'd be at work or whatever yeah. um my regret or guilt is that i didn't take enough advantage kind of like what you're saying i didn't ask the questions like we were there but i don't know that we were always present and that's that's mm -hmm. what i have my my challenge with so um but no this has been this has been great it's been an hour and 10 minutes i can't believe we just kind of threw off the whole thing this is like we just scratched the surface here you know yeah, no, well, we'll have to we'll have to get you back on. Maybe we'll do a book update or uh, do something. But uh, you know, I definitely want to thank you for for sharing and kind of went deep with a bunch of things here, which was kind of cool. And uh, Andrew Appleton, who was an an awesome follower and supporter, said thanks thanks for this. My mother is close to passing, and I was able to visit her recently, maybe for the last time. Andrew, um, sorry, I didn't even I don't know that I even knew your your mom was sick, so my. Sorry, you're going through that, my friend. Um, Andrew's actually a, a pretty phenomenal uh, human being all around, does a whole bunch of cool stuff, but uh, Marine, and he just recently flew one of now only three code talkers to Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, so he's doing a lot with the, the 80th anniversary of code talkers. Um, so, Andrew, uh, you know, hope you, hope you, uh, Maybe get to see your mom one more time, but if it was the last time, I hope it was a, yeah. a good one. And and uh, sorry yeah, to, to hear that. To Andrew and to yourself, Josh, I, I would say it's okay to think that. I mean, I think it's really okay to to have those thoughts of 
you know, it's time, you know, they lived a good yeah. life and this isn't the life that they, they're not living right now. And it's okay to say, you know, it's time yeah. to from God. Yeah. Like her. Um, yeah, for sure. It's tough. Yeah. It, it, I, I actually, um, I had that conversation with my father's father and um, I, I was in the room when my grandfather passed away. I was the only person there. Mm -hmm. And um, I can remember, you know, it's, it's inevitable, right? Yeah. We're all, we're all going. You know, live, your, live, live your dash, uh, yep. you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I remember, you know, as hard as it was, and as much as I wanted my grandpa to be there and come around, and everything else, you look and you go, "There's no fixing it." And that's the, that's the thing that that uh, I'll end, I'll, I'll try to end this conversation with until we have our next one. But that's the biggest challenge for me is my brain. Every, well, fairly often, I have to be reeled back in by Amy because my brain. I'll say something like my dad's going to, because physically he's he's there, right? He's still strong. He's still moving around and everything. And so my brain will say, you know, hey, if I keep going to see him and I see him every day and I talk to him, maybe something will trigger and come back. Maybe something will 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 snap and he'll he'll mm -hmm. he'll do give me one more day of 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 a conversation or be someone I can can, can ask a question to. And so my brain just doesn't. My brain sometimes has an inability to function that says this is it. Like, there's no, he's not going to get better. He's not going to, to come out of this. He's not going to remember my name. He's not going to know who I am. Um, he, he's, he's gone, you know, and that's the, that's the hardest part, um, yeah. is, is telling yourself the reality of the finality. And, um, it's, 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 a. It's, it's not something I wish on anybody. And yeah. most people don't know that it's possible to happen. So, um, but hey, thank you for writing the book. Uh, I can't wait to dig in. I got the Ten Commandments right in front of me. Um, while I didn't know your dad, it's obvious he was a pretty awesome human being and, and uh, did some amazing things. And for you to share your story and his story is uh, is is something of leaving a legacy, not just for your kids, but for anybody that chooses to give it a read. So so appreciate you, my friend. And uh, I look forward to this new friendship. We'll have, yeah, to get Dave, yeah. we'll have to get David Cooks on the line one of these days. We'll have. Uh, uh, he said he was going to try to listen in, but busy guys got all sorts of stuff going on. So we'll probably listen to the recording. That's, but, that's uh, not good. Yeah. Let's offline. We'll schedule a time to get together and map. Yeah. Out this book. Well, I told him about JetBlue flying from Milwaukee to Boston direct for short money that I, that he didn't have an excuse. So now he's just got to yeah. get himself yeah. and, go and, and yeah. get out here. So, um, but uh, so that this is going to wrap up this episode. This was, this was a pretty strong one. Uh, it's close to home. Um, you know, if you don't know about Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, even though you don't have a family member, pay attention. Um, think about people that may have gone through it. Ask questions. Um, it, it, it isn't something that I don't know that they have a clear definition on it. Or they say it skips generations and it's a higher likelihood for males and, you know, all the other statistics and things that you might read or people that might say, um, do some homework. And, and yeah. also, you know, one of the things that people that are going through it, um, in the early stages, the importance of patience and not correcting um, the, the person that's got it. So if if your parent or friend says the sky is purple, go with it. Um, yeah, it doesn't that's, matter. That's a great point. I I want to plug my friend's book. Um, it's it's the stranger you love on Amazon, and it's it it is absolutely to me one of the most crucial pieces books you can read about Alzheimer's. It's it's just very like if you want to know the basics of Alzheimer's, if you want to know the language of caring, 
Mm -hmm. You want to hear stories like if I, if, if I wish I had the book when my dad was diagnosed, um, yeah. because it really does map out what are the, just, what are the considerations you have to talk about with your family, mm -hmm. with your loved one. And it's a good book. It's a very helpful book, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Just don't correct them. Yep. Don't get mad at them. Yep. No. And, yeah. And if they remember something, don't, rem don't think they're going to remember everything. Yeah. Um, even in those early stages, but you know, yeah, and, and to know, you know, if you start to see things that trigger, um, make sure that they get checked out and make sure that you stay on top of it. Um, not just give them the responsibility of, of doing it themselves, because when people are diagnosed with it, they, they, they don't want to realize it or admit to it. And many people that are diagnosed with it, they don't know what it is because they don't know anything about it. So they don't, they're not at the capacity of understanding the severity or how quick or how slow it could happen. So we could give a whole bunch of, we could give a couple of hours of what to do and what not to do. And believe me, when I tell you not to do or do something, I did it all. So yeah. I, I, I went through it. Um, I made all the mistakes. I, I made the corrections until I knew I wasn't supposed to and all that stuff. And it, it, it is a lot if you could have a more pleasant experience and that's a hard way to say it, but if you could have an experience where you could have conversations about purple sky and um, flying elephants or whatever is on their mind, um, just do it, just go with it um, because that's what's in their head. And it's, you're not going to tell them otherwise. It's not like your kids that are just rebellious. It's that their brain just doesn't have the, the, the capability, the cognitive function or the, or they have hallucinations or, or they're, they're seeing things that just aren't there. And so um, you just got to roll with it. So um, can't thank you enough, my friend. Um, uh, I'm going to do, so we got Chris Martinetti gave us a great rating and review. I think we're up to 69 five-star rating and reviews. This is where we close out the episode and I do my shameless plug for people that listen and watch to go on Apple podcast or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform, subscribe on YouTube, but everybody that gives a five-star rating and review, I give something to you. So if you watch this episode, listen to this episode and you give a five-star rating and review, you want to learn about what life is like with a, with a parent or family member, a friend that has Alzheimer's and the impact that it has um, in sharing your life story. This is the book. It's 10 days with dad. And as just as I did with Joe Bafia, uh, five ratings, five star rating and review, send me a message with your address. I'm going to take care of five of these copies of this book so you can read it with me. So please do, do submit the ratings and reviews. I hope this was a great episode for you. If it's not a five star rating and review, tell me. Um, don't tell your friends. Tell me. Let's see if we can fix it. And uh, I want to earn it. I don't want. Uh, I don't want you to just put the bad rating and review for putting a bad rating and review. That's my my way of getting it. So you can't do that. You're not allowed to. You you got to give me a chance <laughs> to fix it first. So um, follow us: Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. Subscribe, share, help us grow. B BYLR members, uh, reach out to me. It's it's just that easy. There was no formal interview. Said I wanted to be on the podcast. Let's pick a day and a time. So. In the meantime, if you can be anything, be awesome. Have a great day.